0: You're listening to GreenBiz Radio, the voice of GreenBiz.com, bringing you news and analysis on business, the environment, and the bottom line. For GreenBiz Radio, I'm Matthew Wieland. Electronic waste is one of the big problems facing not just the IT industry, but almost all businesses. More often than not, it takes a backseat to more pressing issues of energy efficiency or even just staying afloat in an economy like this. But the issue remains urgent, not only because of new laws in Europe and Asia around manufacturing and recycling toxic materials and electronics, but also because of the massive environmental and health problems created by e waste dumping. A host of companies and nonprofits are working on e-waste issues, and last month saw a series of developments happen in rapid succession. I spoke with Barbara Kyle, the national coordinator for the Electronics Take Back Coalition, about e-waste in the news and how companies can get out in front of their problems with toxics. Barbara, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Um, I wanted to talk to you because it seems like in the last few weeks there's been sort of a landslide of events about e-waste take back in in several different forms. And so I wanted to get your take on what exactly has gone down and and how significant are each of these events.
1: So one of the things that's most recently happened is um, a report came out last week from the federal GAO um, that uh, was a pretty scathing report about the problem of e-waste exports from the U.S. and um, how it's really ending up being dumped on developing countries around the world. Um, and it's significant that this is really the first time the federal government has um, acknowledged and, and really focused attention on this issue. It's something that the, the NGOs, that our organization, particularly our partner organization, the Basel Action Network, has been uh, talking about for a long time. Greenpeace has, a lot of groups has, it's been in the media, but the federal government has never really... Shown a light on this problem until this report. And it basically acknowledges that our e-waste is, is flowing out of the U.S. W- almost without restriction um, and ending up in the developing nations around the world. A lot of it goes to China um, or other parts of Asia, China and India in particular, or in countries in West Africa, um, where it's really um, handled in a, in, a, in a very dangerous way. It's it's very uh, There's a very unsafe practices there where it's basically bashed and burned um, in, in just to get at the the metals in these products and the workers are exposed to horrific toxins in the process. Um, our government is well aware of it but really not doing much to stop it and uh, it's a practice that continues and so the few regulations that EPA does have that would restrict this, in, at least in one category, the CRTs, cathode ray tubes, they don't enforce. So the end result is it's just all going out the door. Um, and we think that needs to be stopped and is, could easily be stopped. The federal government could easily take action to ban the export of the toxics in e-waste to the developing countries, and that's, in fact, what we're hoping Congress will do So, okay. um, in, in the next session.
0: And, and along those lines, I think the day of or the day after the release of that GAO report, there was some activity, I believe, in both houses of Congress around that.
1: That's right. And it's in the form, form of a uh, resolution. So it's a, a non binding resolution. Um, Representative Jean Green of Texas had introduced it in the House at the end of July. And the day after the GAO report, um, Uh, Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio introduced a similar resolution in the Senate, and it basically says um, Congress needs to act on this to ban the export of toxic waste to developing countries. So while it's a non-binding resolution, it's definitely a a signal that these are legislators who intend to lead on this issue. Um, It's a way to already engage um, members to ask them to be co-sponsors of it. Um, and while it's not something that that I think is ever even going to get voted on, it's still a way to engage and and, uh, indicate that this is an issue they take seriously.
0: One of the other things that happened, I think it was just last week, um, Greenpeace released its latest quarterly report card for electronics manufacturers. Greenpeace has said and has shown that their report cards in the past have helped to speed up or even move companies further down the line of green towards green products, whether it's energy efficiency, whether it's manufacturing with recycling in mind, or minimizing the amount of toxics used in manufacturing. And I'm wondering what you think about, do you see NGOs pushing the ball further going forward, or do you think this is going to move into legislative le- realm soon?
1: Well, without a doubt, the NGOs um, pushing on these companies has, has had an impact, and and Greenpeace's report card has been a big part of that. Um, We've also been for the last almost a year campaigning on the television companies in particular with the digital conversion deadline uh, happening next year in February. Um, We've been focusing a lot of attention on the television industry here because um, until recently there was no TV company that offered a take-back program, while the computer companies have had these for a couple of years at least. Um, None of the television companies were taking back old TVs, and everybody's getting rid of old TVs because everybody's buying new ones. So the very companies that are making money off selling us the, you know, whatever it is, 30 or 40 million new flat panels every year, were doing nothing to take back the old ones and make sure that they were getting recycled. And so um, we've seen some progress on that. And last year, Sony was the first TV company to offer a take-back program. They'll take back basically TVs and anything with Sony's name on it at their designated collection sites. Now, there's not enough sites yet, um, but they are uh, they are adding to their list all the time. And, and so that's a growing program. Um, LG Electronics uh, announced a take-back program just this past month in, in early August using the same collection sites as Sony. They work with the same collection, the same recycler. Um, and then just a couple of weeks ago, Samsung announced that they will be launching their take-back program in October. So we're looking forward to more details on that, but also a, a take-back program for all of their products. Samsung is the, the global sales leader of televisions globally and in the U.S. So that's a huge step forward now to have those three companies with take-back programs, whereas a year ago um, these companies not only weren't doing it, they were lobbying against legislation that would require them to take responsibility for their products in the states. That's a big turnaround pretty quickly for this industry.
0: So I I want to come back to sort of the big question of what's driving these companies to announce these programs. But something you just mentioned that I also wanted to touch on, which was um, the end of the Advanced Recycling Fee Coalition. Is that the right name for it? Right. Okay. That's so right. the
1: ARF Coalition.
0: The ARF coalition, yes. So uh, last month, I think it was, this this coalition disbanded. Tell me a little bit about that and why that was a positive for the overall e-waste take-back movement.
1: So this was a coalition of virtually every TV company that sells in the U.S., or all the big ones, um, maybe 15 companies that existed for several years to lobby, specifically to lobby against legislation that would require them to take any responsibility for collecting and recycling their old products. That was a movement that was already happening with computer, the computer industry and they wanted no part of it and spent I don't know how many millions of dollars lobbying against bills both federally and in the states that would give them any responsibility. And Instead what they wanted was something that's called an advanced recycling fee or ARF which is what California has, the only state to go that way that basically sticks it to consumers. It says, Consumers pay a fee when they buy the product and in California that money goes to the state and it gets used to just reimburse some some recyclers, um, electronics recycling that happens in California. Um, What it doesn't do though is include any responsibility or any participation at all from the manufacturer and the reason that, that groups like mine like to see the manufacturers involved is we think that there's, at a certain point, if the companies are responsible for paying for recycling, um, then they have a financial incentive to figure out how to make their products more recyclable in the first place. And that's really what this is all about. It's it's trying to promote a different design model um, through pressure uh, on the end of life of the products, um, what happens to them when when consumers are done with them. So the ARF Coalition for several years lobbied vigorously against these bills. And um, again, through pressure from the NGOs and Greenpeace's report card absolutely had a role in this. Um, starting last year, some of these companies started to withdraw from the coalition. They got a lot of heat from us from and from Greenpeace on being members of the coalition and lobbying against the bills. And so the big companies withdrew. Sony, LG, Samsung, um, IBM was part of it actually still. They, they pulled out um, and so they lost a lot of their big members and the, the core of this coalition or the leaders have always been Panasonic, Sharp and Philips um, and so that really took the wind out of their sails um, until finally they actually disbanded the coalition just uh, in the last month or so. Once Panasonic pulled out it no longer exists. So now we've seen Panasonic, Sharp, and Toshiba have actually created a recycling company. So they've finally given up on fighting this thing, and I think they figured out, well, let's figure out how to make money off of it, honestly. <laughs> um, and they're only doing the recycling now in states where the law requires them to. We'd like to see them, now that they have a company, broaden their uh, offering to be a national take-back program. Why not? If you already have a company that that's, you know how to do it, um, why not do that nationally? But at, at this point they're only willing to do it in the states that have passed laws that make them do it. Um, so it's a complete turnabout from where we were a couple of years ago. So again, this, it, it, it's an issue that where things have changed very quickly and um, it's, it's a really good uh, trajectory for us. I think we're on the, very much on the right track.
0: What's driving companies to take these steps, whether it's to launch a take-back program, whether it's to launch an entire company with other uh, manufacturers about take-back and recycling? Uh, It sounds like, to some extent, it's uh, pressure from NGOs. Is it also concern about pending legislation, or as you you mentioned uh, briefly, is it also possible for these companies to make money to see bottom-line benefits from taking back what otherwise would have been waste?
1: Well, I think it's all three of those things um, happening together. So we now have um, 16 states that have passed producer responsibility laws, plus New York City, um, all of this just in the last few years. So they're a little little bit different. Some of them include computers and televisions. Some of them are just computer equipment. Um, Some have an even broader list of products like printers and faxes. But basically it says, In those states, if you want to sell in the state, you have to have a program to take products back from consumers for free. Um, And so that's a huge driver. So companies are having to figure out how to do this in a whole lot of states around the country. Um, And so with that many states taking these steps, they can't pretend this is not a trend. They can't. I mean, this has been happening in other parts of the world, um, in Asia, in Europe, for a long time. They have these obligations, but they were really trying to fight it in the U.S. And I think they just have to acknowledge at a certain point they're not going to be able to fight it. And so they really might as well figure out how to do it. Um, and so I think some of them, like Sony was the first TV company that we heard say that they think that at a certain level of uh, volume, they can make money off of this, or at least not lose money off of it make it cause not not make it a, a negative cost for them, but make it cost neutral. Um, the metals market internationally has been um, through the roof in the last couple of years, so the value of recycled metals is very, very high, um, much higher than it used to be. So that makes the prospect of recovering metals from recycling um, a much more interesting economic venture. In fact, we've heard some people talk about they may start... To mine to go into landfills to mine for metals in old electronics that have been dumped in landfills um, because of the metals value there particularly the precious metals that there's a, f- a few things coming together there but I think you know companies cannot turn their back on this anymore in fact today we just saw an announcement IBM is launching a new um, environmental consultancy I forget what they call it but basically to be a consultant to companies manufacturers to figure out how to consider their whole life cycle of their products at the design table um, including and they specifically list how to deal with your product when at the end of life when consumers are done with it so to make sure you're designing it with that in mind um, as well as the materials they select so that's another good sign I think that that, uh, you know if IBM is launching this then they figure there's enough demand that they can uh, make money at it and uh, get companies to buy into the concept so Mm It, it indicates to me that um, companies are are finally starting to embrace these ideas, and it's not just, hopefully, not just a PR thing for them, but in fact, they're going to really um, figure out how to do it.
0: And let let's talk a little bit about. The design of these electronics. If if half, or presumably quite a bit more, of the problem is what to do with products that are already out in the wild, uh, how is design changing what products are being sold today? What new products are being developed, and and what's going to happen at the end of their lives?
1: Well, I would say that the that the design right now isn't really looking isn't even considering about the end of life of the product sadly and that's a dynamic we want to see change so if you just look at lcd tvs right there's everyone's buying flat panel tvs lcds are selling far and away the the biggest category of flat panels Mm -hmm. Um, and lcds the lcd glass is uh, the lamps are lit with mercury so there's mercury lamps in all of these things mercury terribly toxic um, and then the LCD panel glass itself is made out of liquid crystals which nobody knows how to recycle um, and it's a huge part of the cost of the panel when it comes back what are people going to do with it millions and millions of pounds of this stuff and the best technology right now is you burn it well, you know that doesn't tell me that these are the companies that have really thought about this um, at the design table and when we talk to TV companies well, about what are you going to do with the LCDs when you get them back their answer is, well, we don't even care because we're going to be on to the next thing. We're going to, we're looking at LED technology. By the time those things come back, we won't have them used for them. And that's kind of, they say that with no hint of irony, but it kind of gets right at the, uh, at the issue of companies not thinking about the full life cycle of the product at the design table because they're just making material selections only with the use of the product in mind with no thought about what happens when we're done with it. So um, I think that that once the companies actually have to be paying for recycling all this stuff, that will change. That is a a financial driver to get them to actually think about that and not just say, we don't care, it's not our problem. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't think we're there yet. I don't think we're there yet at all with the volumes that are coming back in these programs. A lot of the state programs actually don't even go online until next year or the year after, Um, but I think it will. I think we'll very much get there to the point where somebody in these companies is going (laughs) to... Look at the costs of these recycling programs and say, "Hey, wait a minute! Can't we do, can't we figure out how to make our products in a way that makes this cost line come down for
0: us?" hmm hmm Great. And changing topic slightly, what do you see? Any strategies by companies uh, by not not by manufacturing companies, but by uh, by end-user companies, especially thinking about. Uh, bulk purchasers of, of electronics, whether it's televisions or monitors or computers, do you see any strategies from these companies who are trying to buy lower impact products and what's working for them?
1: The healthcare industry is one is one in particular that this is more on computer products, but that has very much has uh, articulated demands around figuring out the greener products to use in the healthcare environment. But there's not a lot of tools, sadly, to, to really um, work with. There's this EP tool um, that the EPA has developed. It's a scoring system, a voluntary scoring system, that the computer companies use to grade their products against some environmental criteria, um, which is a start. It doesn't include a lot of important things, um, so it's not, it's not perfect. Um, And it only allows you to grade, obviously, products that are out there on the market. We'd like to see it look a little further down the road so that these companies can use it as a way to say, okay, well, this year I'll buy this, but in three years I want to see a product that doesn't have any of these materials in it. You know, to use it as a way to really uh, push the industry in a direction that the buyers want to see it go in. Um, The EP process is supposed to now take on televisions. Um, That was There was a whole process about figuring out what was the next group of, of uh, products, but now the TV companies are pushing back and saying, no, no, we don't want to be part of you, Pete. We don't want that process, so we don't want to have to be doing that kind of grading. So that's a really disappointing development that we hope will change, but right now the TV industry seems pretty dug in about not wanting their products to have any kind of a environmental uh, grading system attached to it. So, it's it's an it's an arena that's important where you know big buyers can use their buying power to try to encourage development in the right uh, direction as far as green products go. Um, but I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg about, about really leveraging that.
0: Mm-hmm. And again, what do you see moving that iceberg more quickly? Do you see that whether it's institutional buyers saying we're only going to buy? Uh, products that meet these criteria, whether it's NGOs raising the red flag about what's actually in these products that both individuals and also these institutions and, and companies are buying, or is it legislation that may or may not get introduced maybe in the next congressional session?
1: More of the action is along the lines of institutional purchasers and the NGOs themselves. Um, pushing that envelope. I, I mean, it would be great to say that there's going to be some legislation um, that deals with materials and and so forth, but I don't I don't really see that happening in the short run in mm-hmm. this country. I mean, that's happened somewhat in Europe, and we've benefited from it, but I'm um, I, I not seeing the will in Congress right now to legislate on that. And it's hard to do that at a state level. Um, so I think now more of this more of the uh, pressure has come from the buyers and the NGOs about you know are you going to, what's your timeline for phasing this out we want to buy products that don't contain this we want products that have this kind of an energy rating that kind of thing. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very slow, incremental um, you know I think we're going to see a lot more of that as companies realize they have that um, buying power and as shareholders or, or you know even staff leadership in the company start to think you know we, we need to pay more attention to this.
0: Where can companies go if they are looking for resources for whether it's to buy the greenest possible electronics or places to go with their outdated electronics? What are some of the places that, that people should start looking, either on the procurement or asset management side of the of the process?
1: So for people who are looking to buy products in the um, computer product range, the, the first place to look is at EP, EPEAT, epea which is the scoring system for institutional computers. And people can actually go in and see model by model what's, what products are graded, you know, bronze, silver, or gold. Um, so that's a great resource. Um, they can also, um, if they're doing purchasing, you know, in their own bidding, in their own um, contracts or requests for their RFPs, they can ask the companies to go farther than that. They can, they can ask for um, things that maybe they didn't score quite as highly as they wanted to on ePEAT um, and, and push the companies in that way. Um, and we have some procurement guidelines, some additional procurement questions and guidelines on our website at uh, electronicstakeback.com if people are looking for resources there um, when it comes to what what should they be doing with their old stuff there's a couple ways to think about it um, all of these computer manufacturers have um, asset recovery uh, sides to their business so some companies will bundle that together to make sure that the company that the manufacturer is taking back their old stuff um, you know, as part of their purchase contract and, and leverage that to get a better deal. And, and those companies are managing then the take-back. Um, some companies will work with an independent asset recovery firm, and uh, one of our partner organizations, the Bob's election Network, actually has a, a list of um, pledge signers, which are recyclers who have pledged to adhere to um, high standards with how they manage the recycling. So these are... Companies that aren't exporting it and dumping it in China and India, but are managing it in a responsible way. Um, and so, there's a on our our website again under the responsible recycling. There's a map that you can click on your state and see who are those companies in your state or on the on the ban website too ban.org. All those companies are listed on both sites. Um, so those are those are two important things to. Uh, as resources to to look towards, but even some companies aren't don't even realize. Sometimes the purchasing and the disposal aren't even managed in the same way, and so some companies aren't really paying attention to the disposal at all, and are just going with whatever seems to be the uh, lowest bid option. And so that's it's just important for companies to really understand there are there are good uh, recyclers that are managing their old waste in a responsible way, and there's an awful lot of companies that are not and and they just need
0: to pay attention to that. Great, Barbara. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk. I look forward to hearing about more updates about uh, progress on the e-waste front.
1: Thank you. You've
0: been listening to Green Biz Radio. For the latest daily news on business, the environment, and the bottom line, and to sign up for our free newsletters, visit greenbiz.com.